Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3CR اون 855 AM اند Palestine ريمبرد وذ يوسف احمد الريماوي Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. I'd like to welcome my listeners on the AM dial and those who'll join me later on the website 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. My guest this episode is a Melbourne-based humanist and writer who is originally from Jordan. And the intro music we're listening to is titled After the Capital of Jordan, Amman, by the Jordanian composer Tariq Nasser. Stay with me and enjoy the episode. I'm very pleased to welcome in the studio Haya Munir Kildani, a Melbourne-based writer and humanist, originally from Jordan. Haya, welcome to the show. Thanks, Yusuf, for having me, and I'd love to take the opportunity to thank you for your enormous time and effort in helping the refugees uh, keep up the good work. Mate. Thank you, thank you. We're going to talk about your journey to Australia, uh, but before that, I want to capture the earliest memories of your childhood uh, in your hometown and in Jordan in general? My earliest memories um, are my school, family, friends, the gatherings. I was born in Amman uh, and I grew up in the city of Madaba, the city of mosaics. Mm. Um, this is what's um, well known for the city of mosaics in Jordan. There is a mosaic map for the region dating from the 6th century, actually. And... Um, with two million pieces of colored stone. Mm. In Madaba. Yeah, in Madaba. That must attract a lot, a of, lot tourists. of tourists. Yep. And, um, I studied at Latin Patriarchate High School, um, next right to John the Baptist um, Church, which it was founded in 1883. Um, more than a century old. More than a century old. That's How did that feel, uh, growing up or going to school that you know, it's dates a great, back? It's a great feeling. It actually uh, feels like mini Bethlehem. Many Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You travel back in time. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah. 
Uh, and by the way, the city of Madaba is not far from the capital Amman. So uh, does this mean that you can uh, commute on a daily basis from yes, the two yes, cities? Yes, yeah, because I used to live in Madaba and I used to um, uh, travel daily to, um, to Amman, uh, to University of Jordan. Uh, hey, uh, uh, how does Madaba stand out from the rest of the Jordanian cities and towns? Um it's openness, actually. Mm. And because of the, the many, many, many um, Christian holy sites, um, uh, we have pilgrims on a daily basis that visit um, the city. Mm. Um, and um, we were always exposed to, to foreigners and um, different, different cultures and um, different languages. This brings me to an important element, which is basically the fact that you came from a family of... Christian faith, mm. uh, which opens the door to another dimension of discussion, mm-hmm. the uh, minorities issues and mm-hmm. human rights issues. Mm-hmm. Um, could you please elaborate on the fact that you grew up as a Christian in pretty much a Muslim country mm-hmm. and if things are different today? Um, that's a very important question. I grew up in a time when the issue of religion was never mentioned it didn't matter at all whether you're Muslim or Christian. I personally and my family have um, Muslim friends uh, with deep ties um, till now. Um, unfortunately, things have changed today. Even though Jordan very well known for being moderate, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of us um, can feel and can see the polarization not only on a religious or sectarian level but also political level and mm. that is uh, that is scary uh Haya, does this make you feel worried of course i am of course it does Mm-mm. now also i want to ask you if you feel uh, optimistic or pessimistic about the future in this particular point um i'm realistic and um Look, we can't be negative and pessimistic about things. We have to have um, uh, the, the the strength and the will that we're going to get over it. Mm-hmm. It's just a stage. Um, so, but I'm but I'm worried and being realistic, and we, we can't deny and ignore that there is a problem. What's and What's your proposal to the solution of this problem? And okay. of, from the way, let's say, the government is dealing with this type of polarization. Mm-hmm. Um, the government provides security solutions actually to social and uh, political issues, um, mm-hmm. ignoring that ignorance is a prerequisite uh, to fear, which leads to hatred and then violence. So instead of waiting, um, uh, waiting for polarization to escalate and turn into violence, we need to um, promote and implement knowledge and proper education to overcome ignorance and b- break that cycle. Makes perfect sense to me. Um, to me too. <laughs> <laughs> Investment in proper education proper and knowledge. Proper education and knowledge. Uh, but this is the first step that we need to. But some would take ask, action. first step. What other steps do you think that might be needed? Um, well, it goes hand in hand in parallel with um, with implementing legislations. Let's say to um, incriminate hate speech without compromising um, freedom of speech. How do you do that? I believe it's the responsibility of the civil society to um, monitor the discourse. Because this is uh, a complicated issue. 
It is because it's a complicated issue and the consequences. Um, if we lose control a bit over what's happening over there, it we will need turn to into dictatorship. It. Exactly. So we need to handle it um, with a lot of um, awareness, um, keeping in mind justice. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, for instance, served. criticizing taboos it can be fine as long as it is not provoca- provocative. That's what, what I think. Uh, no, not really. No, no, hang on a second. Let me explain if myself. You're, yeah. Okay, let me rephrase. Okay. Let's say that you have a cultural mm. tribal taboo, mm-hmm. like the issues of honor killing. Mm. And unfortunately, Jordan is an example. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you... Among, among, among the rest among, of the That's not well. the only, of course, among only, everyone yeah. else. Let's say that you want to criticize the tribal mm. law mm. that can be used f- for, for criminals to get away mm. with their crime. Um, now, criticizing it is fine, but using provocative terms might lead to more problematic uh, results and open the can of worms. Well, we should scratch where it itches, Yusuf. Mm. Um, and and I should, it shouldn't be a problem because um, harming and um, um, violating human rights, it doesn't matter how you criticize and what do you provoke. Mm. You, mm. Because this is wrong. What they're doing is wrong. So go straight to the point and now criticize it. In you have to be critical in a constructive way yeah, yeah, because yeah. we need we need positive results and all these actions or the, the these actions that we talk about, the honor killing now, um, should, should be stopped. So which way that we're going to say it or how we're going to criticize it, criticize it, it doesn't matter. So if they're going to be provoked, that's their, that's their problem. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Palestine, remembered on 855 AM. And our guest today is Haya Kildani, a Melbourne-based writer and humanist originally from Jordan. We're going to continue this enlightening interview after the break. And um, you get to choose what song you want to... Ah, me? Yes. Uh, Arabic or in English? In Arabic, let's say. In Arabic? Okay. If it's Arabic, I would choose Lima um, Shmemian. Lina Shmemian? Yes. Lama Badaitafanna. This is a song that I really, really like. I'm in love with that song and the singer. Lama Badaitafanna, a song written eight centuries ago during the time when Arabs were in Spain and Andalusia. And the song is by Lina Shamamian, a Syrian singer from Armenian origin. Welcome again to the show. Thank you, Yusuf. I, I want to ask about your perceptions about Australia before you arrived here. To what extent were they close or far from reality when you arrived? I wasn't very much disappointed. Um, you were not? I wasn't disappointed at mm-hmm. all. Uh, what was on my mind or the image that I had in my mind um, for um, Australia, it was it, it nearly matched my expectations. 
Mm. Because I remember Australia was one of the countries that was not too significant in our <laughs> education. Uh, yeah, we yeah yeah it wasn't mentioned very much. We we hear a lot about the States, Canada, mm. and um, Europe. Uh, yeah, Australia wasn't on the map. How how did your school. how did your parents uh, feel when you told them about uh, Australia when you decided? <laughs> They were sad uh, um, for that decision because um, I have to be very far from them. Um, I actually uh, brought the atlas, the map um, of Australia, in front of my dad, and I told him, "This is where I want to be." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. This is. He was yeah. Um, he didn't believe me at the at the beginning, but um, yeah, it he was very sad. He was very sad. Uh, the other thing that um, I'd love to mention is the cultural shock um, for the newcomers um, because there's generally little or no preparation uh, for the challenges an immigrant faces um, with respect to their traditional values value system. How do we respond to a new culture um, whose value system differs from us? So the adults... Um, um, face challenge, challenges through their daily interaction um, and children through the school system. Um, the cultural shock uh, that I'm talking about, I didn't go through it, actually. I was expecting it. I, I had I had a lot of preparation didn't for it. It didn't surprise you. It didn't surprise me, yeah. But on the other hand, um, uh, what I witnessed and what I've seen during my staying here, it affected a lot of people and they didn't know how to deal with it. You have great command of English language. Did you have the language barrier when you moved in? Um, no, I didn't. Um, however, um, I worked on myself to to upgrade um, the the language. Uh, being a parent, um, it's it's very important to um, communicate with your kids on a good level um, because um, the communication gap that I've seen here um, among other families and other newcomers. Um, was was a dilemma. It was a big issue. It is absolutely fine for mm. people to find it difficult to learn a, a language like English. Mm. Uh, but uh, sometimes I feel that they need to do more. Oh, of course, but, because mm. as the children uh, begin to assimilate into the new society, many lose fluency in their ethnic language while the adults fail to learn English. Uh, so there's no longer effective communication between children and parents. Mm. You lose the bond, and that creates a lot of problems, like identity crisis. Um, parents will lose their um, authority over the children. Um, so it's much bigger than it looks like. Of course it is. Of to course. migrants. How can, to my, of course. How can you communicate uh, uh, with your kids and uh, there's a bad language barrier? It's actually selfish of us not to learn. Hey, uh, this takes us to another uh, dimension, which is basically the family level. Mm-hmm. You were born in Jordan and you, you grew up there and you were at the receiving end of parenting. Mm. And then you came here to Australia and now you have mm. your own uh, family. Mm. You are a mother and you are at the giving end of parenting. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with this contrast? I've learned a lot from um, my mom and dad um, and they did a very great job, a great job indeed. Um Personally, um, I can't force my views on my children. I can teach them to respect themselves and to respect others, uh, not to judge others, not to hurt others, um, be compassionate about um, another human being. I can teach them also to be um, leaders, not followers, encourage them to express themselves. Um, 
and um, constantly remind them how important education is and uh, keep uh, keep learning and learning is a non-stop process and et cetera, et cetera. So I can always show them um, that and these these views, but I cannot force them to um, to adapt my own views. Mm. Uh, at the same time, I can show them where we come from, um, our culture uh, and beliefs, and so on. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's um, it's their path, uh, and I have to provide choices to them. After all, um, they belong to life, and they have to make their own decisions. Now, the, it, it's like double-edged sword. <clears throat> Being from another background can <clears throat> be rich and diverse, and it can add a lot to the upbringing of the, of, of the kids. On the other hand, <clears throat> it can also turn into an identity clash. Look, it's very important to accept and adapt. And I did that when I first came to this country. Mm. So accepting and adapting um, um, are both crucial to um, to blend in that society. Um, and to be accepted into the new society, um, and normally newcomers, and I did straight away actually, and I found that um, easy to do, um, you change your way of thinking, behavior, habits, social norms, and your former way of life, which I did all that. So the key word is change your um, default setting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Setting. Yeah, default setting. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, but You need to adapt. It's new society. Mm. And be proud of who you are and your, your background and your culture. But so you maybe can always merge of... together and bridge bridge the two cultures together and celebrate both cultures. With this approach, um, how are kids going to develop an identity crisis? For I don't think they will because you properly acknowledged that before before it happens. That's right, because I've seen you prevented the others. It. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen the yeah. others and I, and I found out the answer and it was very easy for me to do that. Hey, uh, you are uh, a writer and you write in Arabic. Mm-hmm. You have your own blog mm-hmm. and you also publish in one of the most popular websites in Jordan, mm-hmm. Amun, uh, dot, dot, is it Amun.com? Amun, Amun. Uh, and prior to that, um, and, and still uh, with Filmer Saad for Dr. Saad, uh, yes. Musa Barhome. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I follow your writing uh, mm. with interest always. Thank you. Um, how did that happen? How did writing knock mm. on your door? Or did you make that journey to writing land? I always used to express myself in writing since I was uh, at school. Um, What did you write about at the beginning? Reflections? Reflections. uh, Mainly my writing uh, was to bring meaning to life. Uh, Mm. It's about life. Diaries. uh, A bit bit of philosophy. Mm. Um, I write to understand more about myself, uh, to monitor my progress, and then I reflect on it and go back and see... um, and look at what I, you know, what I wrote before, mm-hmm. um, and I like to mold things into the image that I have in my imagination. But writing comes knocking at my door when there is injustice needs to, to to be highlighted. This is where it just comes. Uh, now, when you say just injustice, uh, you're you're referring to personal or collective uh, injustices. Both. 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 Um, if there is when there is um, a horrifying violation in human rights, and, and that's what I hear, and that's what I read on a daily basis, it, it provokes me as a human being mm. not to do anything about it. I know I'm not doing anything much, and uh, I can't change the world, but this is what I, at least I can do: is to highlight what's happening. 
Having read uh, some of your articles, I mm-hmm. disagree with you in terms of there's nothing uh, I, I'm not doing. I'm not changing anything. Some of your uh, some of your uh, articles uh, have more than one hundred and twenty thousand viewers or, uh, or readers, okay. and several yeah. hundreds of, of shares on Facebook and yeah. social media. Yeah, which means that you have wide base of readers. Fortunately, I'm lucky. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm happy with that. You're good. You're not just lucky. <laughs> you just need to go on. Just, just oh, accept, you, accept uh, thank that. You, thank mm. you. Yeah. So you were saying that you started early and now you write in response to injustices. And that's right. Now, uh, in, let's go back to your writing. And mm. could you please just give us, let's say, two examples of, of topics you wrote about? Um, the first topic um, that I have to mention is, uh, and I wrote about um, with deep sadness, it was the death of our Jordanian Air Force pilot, uh, Moath Kassaspe, um, who was burned to death by ISIS. Um, um, now, despite the brutality um, of the scene, uh, all Jordanians stood hand in hand in solidarity in, um, in full rejection to this ideology. Um, the other ones are about um, exposing certain social behaviors that deepen the polarization, which brings me back to my earlier point about the mm. importance of investing in knowledge and increase the level of awareness, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the goal of my writings. Uh, hey, we're heading towards the end of this interview, and mm. I could fit hours without finishing my questions and listening to your enlightening answers. But I would like to conclude by um, one thing from, let's say, um, English literature, non-Arabic literature, let's Mm. say, Mm. that captivated your imagination Mm. that you would like to share with us. I'd love to share with you um, a very powerful theme um, in a little story called uh, This is Water by David Foster Wallace, who's an uh, award-winning novelist, short story writer. Um, So briefly, there are two young fish swimming along and they uh, happen to meet an older fish swimming at the other direction who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish um, swim, swim on for a bit. Then one of them looked at the other one and asked, uh, what the hell is water? <laughs> so, yeah, I know. <laughs> now, Wallace's theme um, uh, is to think consciously day in and day out. And he proposes living a compassionate um, uh, life. So a theme worth revisiting on a daily basis. Um, the other thing is the most obvious important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and, and talk about. So we're really always already swimming in a connected sea of interdependence um, that we often fail to perceive. And on this powerful note, uh, Haya, we've come to the end of this enlightening uh, mm. interview. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time and thank coming you. to the studio. I really enjoyed listening to you and opening all these horizons. Thank you, Yusuf. Now, um, in the final segment of the program, there's also another Arabic song that you also get to choose. Mm. Um, I definitely have to choose um, a song dedicated to Madaba by Makadi Nahas. Um, she's from Madaba and um, she's a family friend and I, and I love her voice. She's, um, she's amazing. Mm. What's um, the song? The song in particular, Hayya Ala Hayya.
Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you heard it, but I'd love to hear it. I would love to hear it too. Thank you Thank again, you, Haya Kildani. Thanks for having me, Yusuf. It's been a pleasure. Haya Munir Kildani, a Melbourne-based humanist and writer, originally from Jordan. With this, uh, we've come to the end of this week's episode of Palestine. Remembered until we meet next Saturday, same time, 9.30. Have a great time and salam.